0: The resurrection is something that we celebrate every Sunday. Uh, that is why we worship on Sundays. It is Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Uh, but this one especially so. As we uh, say, as they've said of old, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles, and we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the most uh, often used passage of, when dealing with the resurrection uh, and it is also the best defense of the resurrection Paul the Apostle under inspiration of of the Spirit of God uh, when he comes to this portion of 1st Corinthians he is dealing with a treatise an argument toward belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ now Throughout this year, we have finished pretty much every message on Sunday morning with 1 Corinthians 15:58, And I'd like us to begin with it, all right? We've been in Haggai and Zechariah, and Haggai and Zechariah, as I've mentioned, is summed up in this one verse, 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord... For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's how we finished every message so far this year, with that verse. But I think it's important for us to now put this verse into its greater context. And this is the resurrection chapter. Uh, Chapter 15, as I mentioned, is written as an argument toward faith in the resurrected christ that's our word of prayer as we begin lord i pray you'd help us as we look at your word and i pray that we would be able to make the necessarily applications that we need to our lives lord for those watching online for those gathered here to, together we pray if anyone be without you that you would lead them lord to saving faith in jesus christ lord help us as christians to cling to the hope that we have in you in jesus name amen well before we get into the the uh, context Uh, Let me just say that the people here in this immediate context, the people of Corinth, were falling into a trap that we also face today. And that is, uh, we sometimes are intimidated by society, we're intimidated by academia, and uh, we try to secularize our faith. And that never works. It's not a good thing. Uh, And in this passage, there were some who were trying to secularize the faith by negating the authenticity of the resurrection. Because after all, resurrections are miraculous. We don't see people just getting out of tombs every day. Uh, I drive by, a, a uh, there's a small church cemetery by my house, and if my road is closed, which oftentimes it's closed in the spring because of flooding, I go the other way and I go by a churchyard. I've never once seen anybody cr- climb up out of those graves, uh, you know. This is not something we see every day, and to believe in a resurrection is to believe in the impossible, is to believe in mur- uh, miracles. And, and uh, you know, in this early church they were uh, concerned that this was not going to be very palatable in society. This resurrection issue, we should do away with that. And so Paul writes an entire chapter, uh, 58 verses, and, and, and makes this argument that without the resurrection, we don't have a Christianity. We don't have a faith. We deal with the same thing today we do not want to try to make christianity more palatable by watering down the miraculous Uh, we want to stick to the word of god as we get into this passage uh, let's let's pick it up in verse one and before we actually pick it up in verse one let me just say this Uh, if you understand the context of first corinthians This book, uh, 1 Corinthians, was written to a fledgling little church with all sorts of problems. And so 1 Corinthians addresses more sin issues and more problems than any other New Testament book. Uh, They had messed up all sorts of stuff. They messed up their view of the gospel. They had divisions. They uh, had favoritism, the Bible says. They had uh, issues with gifts and tongues and sign gifts and the proper use of these things. They, they slaughtered the Lord's table. They didn't know how to do the Lord's table. Uh, they, they had all kinds of, of, of problems. Immorality was rampant. Uh, They had incest in the church, they had adultery, there was divorce, there was remarriage, they didn't uh, know what they were supposed to do about these things, and what, what does the Bible say? And so they had all sorts of things that needed to be corrected, and you might say, what was wrong with this church? Well, the church was in Corinth. That might not mean much to you and I today, but back in their day, Corinth was known as the center of all wickedness, of all sin. Uh, it was it was the most sinful community, the most sinful society. And back in their day, if if they wanted to call you something really really terrible, they would call you a Corinthian. You low down Corinthian. You know that doesn't mean much to us today, but you wouldn't have liked it if you lived back then. The Corinthians were known for their immorality. In fact not trying to be crude, but sexual immorality was both their patriotic and their religious duty. They would go to the temple, and there were temple prostitutes there, and they would pay money, and they would uh, do what they did, and it was both how they gave to their country, it was basically the taxes, as well as it was supporting their religion. It was In other words, you're a good citizen if you were immoral in this day. That is where we're coming from as we look at 1 Corinthians. We look at this small little church that God was carving out of a a morally corrupt society. Can you imagine? Is it any surprise that they had problems? Uh, Is it any surprise that this little church was having a hard time figuring stuff out? And they were all confused. And Paul has to set so many things right. And 1 Corinthians wasn't enough. There was 2 Corinthians. And he actually had other letters that he wrote to them as well, besides 1 and 2 Corinthians. They had a problem. And in this passage, they have another problem that they've got to get sorted out. We don't know what to do with the resurrection. I mean, the resurrection, I don't know if that's going to be palatable in Corinthian society. Maybe we should just have Christianity without it. Well, Paul takes this on head-on. Now, chapter 15, as you can see, is long, and you're saying, oh boy, preacher, are we going to go through this whole thing? Well, I prayed about this, and I believe we're going to. Well, we're going to miss a couple of verses. But every year on Easter, I always come to 1 Corinthians 15. How can you not? And I miss most of the verses. And this year I said we're going to do it. We're, we're going And by the way, the first service I got done at five after, so it's going to be okay. All right, First Corinthians 15. Fasten your seatbelts. Let's get into this. There's several verses, but it's very powerful and very applicable. As we today are going to finally get into First Corinthians 15:58, but we want to see the context. Why do we have? hope why should we abound in the work of the lord why do we know that our labor is not in vain in the lord paul tells us it's because of the resurrection it's because of the resurrection of jesus christ so that's the title of the message the resurrection our reason to abound our reason to abound always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord now verse one moreover brethren i declare unto you the gospel which i preached unto you "...which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand." He's starting with the most foundational truth, that you're saved because of something we call the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. It's the good news about what Jesus Christ did for your sins so that you can be saved, eternally secure with Him. Sins forgiven. He says, I, "...you received this, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved." if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, why does he throw that little caveat in there? Here's why. These folks were falling apart theologically. They had all kinds of things creeping in, and and their theology was getting corrupted. And and, and he said, look, you folks have gotten saved because of the gospel that I preached to you, and you better not forget. You, You better keep this in your memory. You better keep this straight unless this whole thing is in vain. You see, they were about to lose the foundation of their faith, which is what he wanted to shore up for them today. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. And what was that? Here it is. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If someone wants to know what is the gospel in a nutshell, it's verse 3 and verse 4. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and he was seen. Now he anticipates that the resurrection may be questioned, and so the next few verses are going to help establish that there are witnesses of this act, this resurrection. He was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. Some have died. Some of these witnesses have died. But most of them are alive to the present. Verse 7, After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That, but, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. You know how he uses this word vain a lot. You're going to see that in this passage. Uh, your labor, verse 58, is not in vain in the Lord. And he, he hits on this issue of vanity. Uh, your labor is not in vain if you get this right. And he says, his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. Uh, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me, Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. So he has just established his argument that the gospel was preached to them as it had been received by him. And as he was saved by God's grace out of his wicked lifestyle, he was a murderer. So the grace of God had come to them and saved them out of their wicked lifestyles. These people were immoral. They were debauched. They live in a debauched society. And God had called both them and Paul out of that, transferred them from darkness to light. We call it salvation. They were made new creatures in Christ. And he said, he rose. And that's why this was possible. Jesus rose. He was seen of scores, hundreds of witnesses. And so he's established the fact that Jesus is alive. Now, verse 12. What's all this talk I'm hearing about Jesus not being raised again? Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some among you, in other words, folks, error had crept into the church. And this was not the only error that had crept in. I already mentioned, the whole book of 1 Corinthians was written to correct error after error after error. And this was one of them. Yes, error can get into the church, and when it does, we have got to use the Word of God to get that error out of the church, to correct that error. Verse 13, But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain. He's saying, look, you can't have it one way or not the other. You can't say, well, we believe that in Jesus, but we don't believe that we're going to raise. No, if, 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 if He didn't raise, then we're not raising. If we're not raising, He didn't raise. It's all connected. You either believe in resurrections, or you, or you lose the resurrection. All right, so... He says in verse 14, And if Christ be not risen, our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up Christ. He's saying, you're calling me a liar, a false witness. And not just me, all the apostles, Peter the twelve, all the hundreds that saw him, hundreds of people, you're, you're saying that we're all liars. Whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead raise not. Verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. You have no salvation from sin if sin conquered Jesus and kept him in the grave. The very fact that he conquered sin, death, and hell and busted out of that grave is the hope that you and I have that our sins also are forgiven and that they have been conquered. We are not yet in our sins is the good news. But if Christ is not raised, we are. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He's saying, look, how many of you have loved ones who who have fallen asleep in Christ, who who have died? They're gone. Gone forever if there's no resurrection. In the, if, verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. He's talking about vanity again. He says, you know what? You want to talk about a vain, empty life. A vain, empty life is one that gives up all for Christ, but Christ is still in the grave. That is misery. Misery. But that's not what we have. That's what we would have if we didn't have a resurrected Lord. Now he talks about Adam and Christ and there's similarities between the two. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are christ at his coming and so he's saying look the first adam brought death the second adam jesus christ brings victory over death and he's the first fruits that means there's more to come and he says he must reign verse 25 till he hath put all enemies under his feet the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death for he hath put all things under his feet but when he saith All things are put under him, it is manifest that that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son of the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be in all. What was that all saying? He's saying this. He had to raise, because he wasn't done. He had to come out of that grave because there was more to do. He had to put everything under him. The only thing that's accepted is, as it says, God the Father is not under Christ. Christ is doing the will of the Father. But everything else is under his feet. Verse 25. And he must reign. How does he reign if he's still in the grave? So the the idea here is, uh, this is the difference between Christianity And all other faiths, all other belief systems. In every other belief system, you have a prophet or a religious holy man or holy woman who is in a grave somewhere. But when you go to Jesus' grave, the tomb is empty. And that's what makes all the difference. Now, verse 29 is an interesting verse. And we're not going to skip it. We're going to tackle it. Because we're going to tackle this passage. And in verse 29, I believe, actually, if we can understand what he's trying to say here... Can help us with this whole argument now verse 29 from my study There's only about three other passages in the new testament that are more argued about so let's read verse 29 he's making all these arguments if there's no resurrection then what about this what about this what about this in verse 29 he says if there's no resurrection what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all why they why are they then baptized for the dead all right this verse cuts against the grain. Wait wait wait, 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 what is this talking about? I'm not getting baptized for a dead person. I've never seen anybody get baptized for a dead person. Furthermore, I can't imagine it would do any good on two accounts. One, they're dead. And two, baptism doesn't save anybody anyway. So why would I get baptized for somebody when baptism doesn't save, Jesus saves, and baptism is sim- simply just a sign that I am Christ. So, so what is this all about? Why would he talk about baptizing for the dead, and, and who does this? And There's nowhere in the scriptures that tells you to be baptized for dead people. It's not in there. The epistles do not, this is not the third ordinance. The Lord's Supper, baptism, and well, the foot washing, no, no, skip that one. Uh, uh, and then you've got the baptism for the dead. It's not in the Bible anywhere. It just comes up in passing right here. And you look in church history, and you will, you will find it. In early church history, uh, there were different sects that would baptize over a grave of someone who they thought had died maybe without Christ or they had died without the opportunity to get baptized. I don't want to get lost in the weeds here, but hang with me. I did some research, and I found that when people try to explain what this is, most of the time, uh, we have to adjust the text. Now, I don't like adjusting texts. It's a bad habit to get into. You start adjusting texts because they don't fit what you like and don't like. There's no end to that. So people adjust it different ways. Else what they do, what shall they do who are baptized for the dead Jesus Christ? Well, that's nice, but it's not in there. Well, else, so what shall they do who are baptized for the dead martyrs? In other words, the martyrs have stepped off the scene and we are immersing ourselves into the martyr's stead. Eh, sounds really good. I'd love to go with it because I don't like this baptism for the dead thing. But you, you still, you have, to, you have to play with this. Uh, what shall they do who are baptized, meaning immersed in sorrow because remember jesus said can you embrace the baptism that i'm baptized with sometimes it can mean to be immersed in sorrow and suffering that doesn't seem what it's talking about that's not what it says all right so what's the best thing to do with this i believe well as i looked at the greek the greek just seals it there is no way to get around any other way than what it says isn't that good though (laughs) Okay, It is what it is, and it says what it says. There is no alternative reading. The best way to look at this is to look at it and read, else what shall they do, which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not, why are they then baptized for the dead? Here's what was going on. We're talking about the Corinthian church who was steeped in what? Errors. Confusion. They had all kinds of... Theological stuff that was getting added. They didn't know how to deal with immorality. And then when they did deal with the immorality, they didn't know how to forgive the guy. And so they, these folks didn't know a lot. And they were just kinda calling it like they saw it. They didn't know the Bible, they were so brand new. We're talking about brand new Christians saved right out of the most wicked lifestyle. And they're just calling it as best they can. If it makes sense, they do it. And he's like, the whole time, he's catching up to them. No, 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 that's not how we do gifts. No, 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 that's not how you do the Lord's Supper. Wait, 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 (laughs) you know. And he's trying to help them get back to scripture. So why would he talk about an error? and use an error of theirs and as part of his argument all right well you got to think of who paul is has paul ever done this before yes he was all things to all men that he might win some he knew how to uh behave with gentiles you know how to believe, behave with jews and when he got to Uh, the the Mars Hill, remember the Mars Hill, the discourse that he gave, are you still with me? I know we're in the weeds, we'll get out of the weeds in a minute. He got to Mars Hill and they were all idolaters and they had this one idol that said, to the unknown God, just in case we missed an idol, we would say, oh, that's idolatry, that's wrong, that's wicked, you can't have nothing to do with that. know what Paul said? I'll take that. All right, folks, so you've got an idol here, the unknown God. Let me tell you about the unknown God. Let me preach to you about the God, Jesus. And he preached from their idolatry, Jesus Christ. In other words, he took the opportunity that was presented to him to turn error toward truth. In no way is Paul condoning or arguing for baptism for the dead. He's he's using every argument he can grab to get them back to truth, and sometimes you have to take someone's error and turn it around on them. He's saying, if there's no resurrection, then we have no faith. If there's no resurrection, then you know uh, we have no hope. And he's going through all the dominoes that fall if there's no resurrection. And he says, and by the way, why do you baptize for dead people if you don't believe in uh, in, in a resurrection? He got him. He's not saying we should baptize for dead people. But that's what they did. They had a lot of errors that came in, and he's saying he's saying, look, else what shall they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? You know that there's a resurrection, or you wouldn't be baptizing for dead people. And then he says this and as far as me, why do I stand in jeopardy every hour? You know Why am I fighting for you and fighting for my life for the gospel's sake if there is no resurrection? You see what he's doing? He's, he's taking all of these arguments and helping these people to see there is a resurrection. There is an eternal life. You know it. You know it. Even in the errors that you have, you know that there is. And then here's another one that he gives, which is very interesting. Skip down to the verse, verse 32. He says, he says in verse 32, he says, uh, if after the manner of men... In other words, this is not him saying that he has done this. He's saying, suppose, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, we know that in their day, they would take Christians and put them in a coliseum and unleash the lion's and they would fight these beasts and die, and, and that was good sport and entertainment to watch Christians get killed. Why would they do that if there was no resurrection? Why, would they, why wouldn't they just go along with society and say, yeah, I won't be a Christian? And again, he is not saying that he has done this. He's giving every argument he can think of. Arguments that he holds personally, arguments that he thinks that they hold, and then arguments from, if I was, suppose that I was in a ring. With lions, why would I face a lion if I didn't believe that there was hope in a resurrected Jesus Christ? Do you see what he's doing? He is building a case from every angle he can possibly draw from to show these people there is a resurrection. There is eternity. There is life after death. There is something more. You know it. Otherwise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He says, I skipped a verse, I protest, verse 31, by your rejoicing which I have in Christ our Lord, I die daily. He's saying, the wording there is, 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 is not how we're used to it today. But the idea is, he protests this idea, but because of the rejoicing that he has in them, in Jesus, because of what they have in Christ, he's I can face every day. I can die every day. I am ready to die. Every single day I'm ready to die because there's hope. The, the, the chapter goes on it 's a long chapter, right you still with me we 're going to skip a couple of verses. We have to for sake of time we 're going to skip down to verse thirty five He makes so many good arguments there. He talks about the body and and celestial bodies and he talks about uh, the differences of the different bodies that God has made and how life comes from death. Uh, you know a seed is planted and, and, and it, it dies and then it, and then life comes from death this is this is, this is, this is this is life around us but verse verse thirty five it says but some man will say, "How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come?" Verse 36, "Thou fool, that which, is so, that which thou sowest is not quickened except to die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that the body' not that body that it shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain." He says, "You're not sowing it because you want a lot of seeds." You want what will come from the seeds. And so it is with this body, the corruptible body dies and the incorruptible body is raised one day to be with Christ. And he continues on with this argument talking about the first man, Adam, and and how he brought in death, but the Lord Jesus, the the second Adam, brought in life. And this is the passage that we oftentimes hear at what kind of a service? 1 Corinthians 15. Where do we hear this more than any other service? You can say it. What kind? A wedding? A A funeral. This is the funeral passage. Why? Because it's talking about death and it's talking about life. And it's talking about death is not the end. And this body, if we were in a funeral today and there was a casket here, I would say to you, this is not the end. This body here does not represent this Christian. This body is going to be buried and one day will resurrect and will reunite with that spirit that is right now with God. And there will be a new body given and eternity to spend with Christ. This is the passage. This is the passage of hope. We're still working our way back to verse 58. This is all the context. We go up to verse 54. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have victory? Because He has conquered death and hell because of the resurrection. He rose and brings that victory to you and to me. Victory for today and victory for eternity. And now we come to verse 58. Therefore. Somebody has said a million times, whenever you see therefore, you've to ask the question, what's it there for? Okay, you've heard that before. But it's true. It really is true. This therefore what is this all about basically he's saying therefore means based on everything else i've just said in this chapter here's the conclusion the conclusion of what the conclusion of what does the resurrection mean to you and me therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, that word vanity comes back in. It's coming in this passage several times. He says, if there's no resurrection, your faith is vain, your labor is vain, and you've had an empty, miserable life. But if Christ is raised, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What did he need them to do at this moment? My beloved brethren, first of all, be steadfast the errors that are creeping into this church all of this all of these these ideas that are really straight out of the secular thought do not need to be wed with scripture we don't need to appease somebody else we need to do what god says you don't get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine therefore be steadfast remember what the gospel is don't ever forget it don't add to it don't subtract from it Remember about the resurrection that Jesus did raise and he's the first fruits of them that slept and we're going to be raised just like him. Be steadfast on these truths, unmovable. He was not willing to say to these people that he referenced in verse 12. Some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead. He did not say, well, let's come talk about it. All right, let's work this out. Let's compromise. No, 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 no. It was... We will be steadfast, we will be unmovable on the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, I'll tell you what, because we have hope, we have motivation. That's why the resurrection, as I began, is our reason to abound we have hope we know how this all ends so we can get involved in the lord's work and know any effort blood sweat tears spent in god's work is not in vain we can abound in hope and know that our labor is not in vain in the lord now i think that these people were discouraged and the work was languishing wouldn't it if there's no hope i mean i don't know how i would get any of you to do anything in this church if we believed that once we go to the grave, it's over. All right, come out for visitation on Saturday. Spread the good news that we're all going to die, you know. Uh, we need people to clean the church. Uh, we need some people to help set up chairs. So if Somebody mow the lawn. I wouldn't be able to get anybody to do anything, and I wouldn't be able to blame you for not showing up. If we have no resurrection, we have nothing. And that's what was happening They were losing, the wheels were falling off the wagon of this church, and so he had to say, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Get after it. Stay in it. Work, because this is real. This is the only thing that's real is living for God, serving God. It is not in vain. Three quick things and we're done. Christianity is built upon faith. Therefore, we don't need to make it more believable in order for it to be more acceptable to society or culture. I think many times we get intimidated. We get intimidated by schools, education, society, culture, or whatever, and, and we think, you know, there's just a few things about Christianity that are stumbling blocks, and if we could just take some of these things out that, that require so much faith, we'd have way more converts. Converts to what? What? And if you take the faith out of Christianity, again, you don't have, you don't have Christianity. I watched a YouTube video that uh, was interviewing a Hollywood actor about his faith. And those, whenever I see those pop up, I always, I always am curious. Okay, so this Hollywood actor has faith. I got to check this out. So I click it, and he, he's getting asked the questions about, I read the Bible every day. Oh, really? wow, in Hollywood, do, do people, like, are they okay with that in Hollywood? No, I take a lot of flack for it, man, I take a lot of flack, it's, it's just not cool, it's not the going thing, but this is what I do, and God is real to me, and Jesus is real to me, and, and I love the Bible, and blah, 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 I mean, this isn't a quote, but you know what I'm saying, he's, and so he's asking him more and more stuff, and I'm thinking, wow, this is really good, and then he gets halfway through the interview, and he says, you know, the only thing I can't I don't know what to do with i just i just don't know what to do with the miracles the resurrection the burning bush the red sea crossing there's a lot of stuff i just i don't know what to do with that but the morals i love jesus teaching the golden rule how to treat people the proverbs all those are great i just don't know what to do with the, the supernatural stuff and right there i said oh that guy doesn't know He doesn't know Christianity. He doesn't know Christ because he doesn't have the faith to believe in the supernatural. Folks, without belief in the supernatural, you don't have belief. I mean, you you don't have faith in Christ. And basically, he was wanting to say, I want to take the morals. He was a moralist is what it was. He wanted to take the morals and the feel goods, but say, I have to step away from the table as soon as we talk about like people rising from tombs. no. That's no, not scientific. That's just not factual. And so you say, well, hang on. Maybe we can reach that guy. Maybe we'll just tell him. You don't have to believe that stuff. You know, just believe in the good words of Jesus and take what you can. And yeah, I know the burning bush is a little bit weird. Uh, the Red Sea, ah, far-fetched. But hey, just take what you can. Won't that count? It won't count. you've lost it. Jesus is the creator God. He is the savior of the world. Christianity is built upon faith. Therefore, we don't need to make it more believable in order to be accepted. The beauty is accepting everything by faith. And by the way, folks, let me just say this. Faith isn't that hard. Everyone in here walks by faith every day. You're sitting in a chair that you did not check out, and you are trusting that chair You're resting, many of you look very at rest. That's good, Uh, you're you're at rest in that chair, you are are trusting that chair. I was at a a preacher's fellowship and sometimes preachers can tend toward being bigger. Uh, And this one larger preacher sat down in a chair at a preacher's fellowship and went straight to the floor, poor fella, he trusted the chair, the chair let him down, you know, Uh, You, I didn't see anybody come in here checking the chair. You just trusted it. You sat down. We exercise faith all day long. And there's so many people who come to me and they say, I just can't accept faith. I'm sorry, you're you're wrong. You accept faith all day long. You just can't accept the object of the faith of the Bible, which is Jesus Christ. I can't accept creation. Creation is so far-fetched. Okay, fine. So is a big bang. I believe that God spoke. There's your big bang. God spoke and he, he spoke it all into existence. You believe in a big bang. I have faith, you have faith. I believe that Jesus took the dust of the earth and formed Adam and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. He took a rib from Adam and from it created Eve. I believe that. You say, oh, that is just so unbelievable. You believe in cosmic goop that crawled out of a, a pit and formed itself and evolved over years. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. We both believe. We both have faith. So many people say, I can't have faith. Yes, you can. You do have faith. You need to humble yourself and have faith in the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the God who built you, who created you. We don't subtract faith in order to peddle the gospel. No, we believe that faith is essential. Secondly, Christianity is built upon the resurrection. Therefore, we don't apologize for it. We glory in it. You know, people think about the resurrection and they think of Jesus, of course. Jesus is the one who rose. But did you know that Jesus is not the only one who rose in the Bible? Resurrection is all over the Bible. Tons of people got resurrected in the Bible. Can you think of 10? Can you think of 10? We'll go ahead I'll help you. We'll put it on the screen. There was the widow of Zarephath's son in 1 Kings 17. There was the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings 4. If you don't know these stories, you've got to go back and read. That's why you've got to read through the Bible every year. you got to catch these stories. These are great stories. There's the man who touched Elisha's bones. Do you remember this story? If you haven't read this one, go to 2 Kings 13. Elisha was promised a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Only so By the time he died, he had done almost double, double portion? He'd almost, he'd almost done twice. The miracles of Elijah. But he died without seeing that last miracle. God didn't forget about it. He got that last miracle after he was dead. They were fighting a battle, this fellow dies. Here comes the enemy. We don't have time for a proper burial. There's a cave. Throw him in that cave. That cave happened to have the bones of Elisha. As soon as he touched the bones of Elisha, boom, he was back and running out. Fellas, wait for me. And Elisha got his last miracle, the double portion of Elijah's spirit. You had number four, the widow of Nain's son, Luke 7. You had Jairus' 12-year-old daughter in Mark 5. Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, was raised to life again in John John 11. Then in in Matthew 27, this is the best one. A number is not given for us. It just says, quote, many bodies of the saints arose at Jesus' death. When Jesus died, the graves opened up and many bodies of the saints. That would be a weird day. That'd be a glorious day. I guarantee you what? The saints were scratching their heads. Okay, hang on a minute. What just happened? Jesus died terrible and grandma's back. And Uncle Steve and Uncle Jeff and, you know, what in the world is going on? How many is many? I don't know. I think it's a lot. Then you had the Lord Jesus Christ who rose again. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Tabitha, the beloved woman who served so many, called Dorcas in Acts 9. She is raised again. Then you have Eutychus who fell out of a window during Paul's long sermon. If you have trouble falling asleep in sermons, don't sit in the balcony. All right. I don't preach as long as Paul, but and I don't resurrect him if you if you're on your own. If if you fall, okay, I don't resurrect him. Uh, I have woken somebody up before. One time, I'll get into that some other time. That was fun i gotta tell you this one kid fell asleep on the front row and i was reading along to i got right up to the verse happened just happened to get up to the verse awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead i called on him and he read it after he woke up it was good all right but eutychus he fell out of a window during paul's sermon he gets raised again and then if you want more there's actually more if you include all of the visions and dreams and you have ezekiel's bones and john's two witnesses in revelation 11. You have the beast in Revelation 13. You have the first and second mass resurrections in Revelation. In other words, folks, the Bible is full of resurrections. It's all about it. And Jesus himself is talked about as the first fruit, meaning, uh, though in a sense he wasn't first, but he's talked about the first fruit meaning the primary one and the symbol of what is to come. The down payment, the foretaste of what is to come for you And for me, folks, we do not need to apologize for the resurrection. We glory in it. And the last one, Christianity is built on life. Therefore, we don't fear death. We don't have to fear death. Because there is hope. Because there is eternity. Because there is a real resurrection that will come for me and and anyone who knows Christ. Jesus said it this way. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. This is what Jesus said. He said, look, when you come to me, you're coming to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. Boy, powerful truth. But it goes both ways. He that hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What have you done with Jesus Christ? We don't need to secularize salvation. We don't need to make it palatable to, to the proud who cannot ha- just cannot accept the miraculous. I don't know about you, I want something Miraculous. I don't just want the ordinary run-of-the-mill ho-hum. I want, I want the God, the supernatural creator God involved in my life. I'm not going to apologize or explain it away. Jesus said, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Meaning this body, it may deteriorate, but you, your soul, your spirit, you are absent with the Lord, you are present with God forever. One day with a resurrected, eternal, glorified body. Do you have this life? Jesus said it this way. I'll close with his words. Believest thou this? Believest thou this? Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus as your resurrected Lord? If so, you have hope. You have reason to abound. You have reason to believe that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Believest thou this? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the victory of the cross and the empty tomb. Thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that Paul, through the inspiration of Scripture, argued so eloquently for the resurrection. It certainly has been under great attack. And those Scriptures that he left us, that you preserved for us, Lord, give us such incredible peace. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not know for sure that they're saved. Lord, anyone here that doesn't know that they're on their way to heaven, I pray today would be the day that they would come to know you as Savior. And Lord, for any Christian who is struggling with fear, fear of the pandemic, fear of uncertainty, fear of death, whatever, Lord, help us to have the hope that comes from faith in a risen Savior. Heads about and eyes closed. I want to ask this question real quickly before we dismiss. Is there one here to say, Preacher? Pray for me, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure that I have received Jesus as my resurrected Lord. Here's my hand, pray for me. I'd like to pray for you. Just say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm, I'm saved. I'm not sure that I know the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Anyone like that? I'd like to pray for you. All right. Let's stand to our feet. As the piano plays. I, I invite you to respond. And if you're not sure you're saved, you can just come to the front. and I'll turn my microphone off and, and talk to you and allow you to then get linked up with someone in our church who can take a Bible and show you from the scriptures how you can know you're saved. And if you're a Christian struggling with fear and doubt, oh, would you heed the words of the Spirit through the Apostle Paul? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord folks it's not in vain let's abound take a moment and talk to the Lord according as he has talked to you One final chorus before we're done this morning. If you have a need at all, please let me know. If you have questions about any of this, please let me know. We'd love to talk to you or set up an appointment.